Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. It's great to see all of you. I hope you've had a good weekend. You guys doing okay? Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. I think it'll be better for us in 30 minutes or so. I have a couple things I want to share with you. Um, I'm going to be working through the book of Galatians. Well, not the whole book, but part of it. I'm in chapter four today. Uh, We've been, as a church, working through the book of Galatians, sort of verse by verse over these last many weeks, and we'll be done in probably a month or so. But today we're in Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 8 through 20, and I'll read them all in one sitting here so we can get a sort of a context of where I'm headed, and you'll see, uh, have a full understanding of what's happening. Um, If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4. You have a Bible app. Use your phone. That's all good. Um, If not, we'll put words on the screens for you. Look like they're already ahead of me, so that's good. Thank you for that. So we'll start here in verse 8. This is Paul writing to the church in Galatia. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid, Paul says, that I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers and sisters, I entreat you, I beg you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I first preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but rather you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, and the they here is the Judaizers, these false teachers that have come into the church and are dissuading the Christians to follow the law of the Jews again, to lean upon the law for salvation and acceptance to God, not upon Jesus for acceptance. And he says that those people, they want to make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. And it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am pleased with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Pause real quick. If you underline anything in your Bible, like underline that, <laughs> as Christ would be formed in us. Ah, oh, so good. I didn't even prep that. That's such a good thing to preach on. We'll move on. So verse 20, last verse here. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. Paul's frustrated. I won't say he's angered, but he's for sure frustrated with them. He's entreating them. He's imploring them. He's begging with them. Why would you leave all the work that Jesus has done on your behalf and the faith by which you believed in that? Would you turn your back to God and follow after the rules and the regulations that is the law? He's concerned by that. 
Last night I was watching, um, probably for the 800th time, exaggeration, right? But I watched Shawshank Redemption. Anybody know the movie Shawshank? <laughs> Morgan Freeman's 85 or some crazy thing? Um, anyways, I felt old watching it because it came out in 1994. And if you know the movie, real quick, I'll just give you a little background. Um, Morgan Freeman plays a character named Red, Reddington, and he's narrating the story of a group of prisoners in Maine in the mid to early, like, mid-1900s. And he's a very wise man. He's a kind of a sage of sorts. It sort of takes us through the story of this film. And he's got a couple quotes that, um, as I was watching last night, just really smacked me in the face. Probably because I've been sitting with this Galatian pass- Galatians passage for some time. But as he said these things, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, would, this matters to us. So listen to a couple things that he said. Um, well, there's a, a, a prisoner, another prisoner named Brooks. Brooks has been uh, paroled after 50 years or so, and he goes back out into the world. And he says, he goes, when I first went into prison, he goes, I would occasionally see one car. And now 50 years later, there's cars everywhere. And he says, the the world is so fast. But Brooks, um, he was afraid to get out of prison because he, he knew how difficult it was going to be for him. And on the eve before his release, he actually took another prisoner captive and was threatening to take his life because he was hoping that he would get rearrested and would be able to stay in prison. He didn't want to go out of prison because he had become, in the words of Reddington, he'd become institutionalized. This is what Red says. He says, these walls are funny, speaking of prison. First you hate them, then you get used to them. And then enough time passes, you get so that you depend on them. And you've become institutionalized he says. Uh, Red himself was finally paroled some 40 years into his life sentence, and he too felt trepidation about being on the outside. He finds a job working at a grocery store bagging groceries, and um, at one point in the film, he's bagging groceries, and he has to use the restroom, and he asks his manager if he could go pee. Sorry. (laughs) If he could go to the restroom. Maybe I should say that. That's better. Um, And his manager calls him over and says, you don't have to ask for permission every time you go to the bathroom. Just go to the bathroom. And then he says these words. He says, for 40 years, I've never done anything without asking for permission first. I've never done anything without asking for permission first. And then he says this, it's a terrible thing to live in fear. All I want, he says, is to be back where things make sense, where I won't have to be afraid all of the time. In the church, we talk about this freedom that we have in Christ. And to understand that, we have to realize that we had a previous life before Jesus. Some of us were young when we became Christians, and you don't really have an understanding of your previous life. But many people, like myself, came to faith later in life. I was 26 years old when I became a Christian, so I remember well my former life. And when we talk about freedom in Christ, what we're talking about, we've been freed from something. And what are those some things from our former life? Well, for sure, we've been free from sins. We've been free from the punishment of sin. We talked about that already this morning as we've taken communion, that the wages of sin is death. That's what is due us as as sinners. But God has delivered us from that through his son, Jesus. So we've been freed from the punishment of sins, uh, for our sins. We're free, and this is my favorite thing that I've been circling around um, a lot in my life, is we're, we're free from trying to prove, hear me when I say this, our faithfulness to God. That we've been liberated from that, from trying to prove to God how faithful we are in the things that we do. When we talk about freedom in Christ, we're talking about that too, That we've been freed from trying to prove to God, look at me, God, look how faithful I am. Watch me now. Because no one's going to be as faithful as Jesus, yes? 
I mean, you guys are great. Say, say amen if you're great. Hey, someone said amen. I really didn't think anyone would say anything. <laughs> like, I for sure wouldn't. Right? I wouldn't. But you're not as good as Jesus. That there's a moment when you get frustrated. You didn't have Cheerios in the morning or you had so- something happens at work and you just like blow up. Hear me. Jesus never blows up. He never fails. We sang it earlier. He's, he's constant. He's forever. He's forever. He's immutable. He's unchanging. Everything that he does before he does again and he will continue to do. He is for always the same and not the same for us. So we're always trying to prove ourselves in our faithfulness to God. And we've been freed from that. We've been freed from so many other things. I don't have the list in front of me, but put your own list together. What are the things that you're trying to always do that God, you think somehow earns favor from God? You've been freed from that as well. So what do we do with this freedom that we have in Christ? This is my thrust. What are we doing with this freedom? Well, like the Galatians, all too often we give it away. We give our freedom away and we choose the way of slavery and bondage again. We fall back into maybe what C.S. Lewis was alluding to. We look for other ways to fulfill our needs. We look to other ways to find happiness. We look to other ways to look for acceptance to God. We look to other, all these things we, we leave behind and enslave ourselves into them again. But we're not alone in this. We do, we're not the only ones to do this. I take your minds back with me to two stories in the Old Testament. I'm not going to read scriptures here, but maybe you're familiar with them. It's the story of God's people, the Israelites. First story is in Exodus chapter 16. The backstory is this. God's people have been enslaved in a country called Egypt for over 400 years, been mistreated and abused. They're living well beneath the potential and the blessings that God had promised them many years before. For 400 years, they're crying out to God, help us, deliver us. And God sends a deliverer. His name is Moses. You guys might know the story. Moses um, goes to Pharaoh and says, listen, bro, um, God wants his people to worship him. You can't, I love this, you can't have them anymore. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to give up these people. They work for me now, God. Oh, think the, the, um, the arrogance. Oh, may we never be Pharaoh. Anyways, I'm touched. Um, Pharaoh says no, and, and God responds through Moses in a series of 10 miracles. We call them plagues. And finally, Pharaoh relents and lets God's people go to worship him in the desert, to take them into the promised land. It's a beautiful story if you know the Old Testament. They've been traveling for some weeks now. They get the, the law on Mount Sinai. They're making their way towards the promised land. And all of a sudden, after so many days, their stomachs begin to grumble after not eating for a few days. They didn't have much time to bring a lot of food with them. They're hungry. Exodus 16 tells a story that they were so hungry, they desired to go back to Egypt. They said, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt where there were meat pots. Like, who loves meat pots? That should be dinner, Right. It's pot pie is what it is. That's what I'm saying. It's the holy food. So anyways, they, they want to go back to Egypt. Why? Because they were hungry, possibly. Possibly. And it's, at one point they said, we should go back to Egypt. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, same people, same leader, same Moses, taking them through the desert. Now it's some 40 years later. They find themselves on the edge of the promised land. There's the, the river Jordan right in front of them. And just on the other side is the promises of God. It's everything. They're going to go over, and before they go, they send a couple spies to look at the land to see how great it is. 
when the spies come back and tell them the report, the food's great, the place looks great, but there's a bunch of big people living there, and if we try to go over there, they're going to kill us. And the people are terrified. It says they live in fear. In Numbers 14, it says that they get all the way to this promised land, and they say this, let's get a new leader, a new captain. Let's fire Moses, shall we? <laughs> and let's go where? Back to Egypt. They want to go back to the place where they'd been mistreated, enslaved, where they couldn't worship God in the way that God intended, to go live beneath the things that God had called them to be. Why did they want to go back to Egypt? Because freedom was hard? Question mark? I don't know. Maybe. Freedom is hard. I mean, that's what Red was pointing to. Freedom is hard. I know a person who was um, imprisoned for meth manufacturing. This tells you the type of people I used to run with when I was younger. Crazy story, but she got caught up in this group of people who were making meth. They got arrested, and this was back in the day when they were throwing people in prison for a long time for this. And she went away for 15, 20 years, and when she came out, she tells me a, a story of when she's going to the grocery store trying to buy toothpaste, and she's having a panic attack because, you know, in prison, you ask for toothpaste, and you get toothpaste. You go to the Walmart here, and you ask for toothpaste, and there's an aisle of toothpaste. She has the freedom now. Are you trying to pick up what I'm saying? She has the freedom now to pick whichever one she wants, and that's overwhelming her. When do I go to the bathroom? When do I do my laundry? What do I have for breakfast? And now on the outside, she's losing her ever-loving mind because in prison, she doesn't have to worry about that. That's all taken care of. So freedom, for sure, can produce some anxiety. I get that. But I think there's something more at work here. It's not just that freedom is hard. If you know these stories, there was something more happening. Um, they still wanted to go back to their enemy. I want to read this one quote from uh, a guy named, uh, what's his name? Mahdi Shemoilov. He's an Israeli poet. And writing about these two stories in the Old Testament, Exodus 16 and Numbers 14, he says this. He says, I want to argue that Egypt in this context is not necessarily the Egypt of an enemy. It is an enemy for sure. They were enslaved in Egypt. But listen to what he says. Egypt rather is their identity now. Egypt is their mother tongue. Egypt is their first memory. Egypt is their frame of reference, the context in which they live. When they say they want to return to Egypt, it's like saying they wish they could return to their mother, to their womb. They are Egyptian slaves who are now following the awakening, awakening of a new identity and they've been thrown into a journey with God. That's what's happening to us. That's what's happening to the Galatians. The Galatians lived in a region of the world back in the day where they would worship just, um, it's polytheistic society. It just means there's a lot of different gods. Dozens, hundreds of different gods. Temples set up to all the gods and goddesses. If you want to try to have a baby, you could take a sacrifice to the temple of the fertility god, and you could offer your sacrifice there, and you'd do your fertility dance. <laughs> Don't do it now. Just, I'm just saying, you could do it then, maybe. Or we, Joe, let's see your fertility dance. <laughs> Never mind. So anyways... So there's all, all kinds of things that you could do in this polytheistic society. Worship all of these other gods. And they've been liberated from that into the one true God. And yet they find themselves wanting to go back to that. That's the old way they knew how to live. And, and the same could be said for us. As I mentioned, I lived 26 years of my life before I knew Christ. And now I, I know Christ. I, I had a draw to go back to the old ways. Anyone? Okay, it's simple. The question is, why are we doing that? 
This is what I'm asking you. Why are we doing this? Why did I do that? I, I do it less now. Amen, praise, and hallelujah. But I suspect some of us in the room still struggle with that very thing. That we are drawn back to old ways. And Paul, as he's addressing these Galatians, I think he's going to give us some insight into that. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to uh, in this passage is that Paul makes mention to them that they are now new. For the entire book of Galatians so far, he's been talking about their new identity, who they are now. And he says it again here, that they are new. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But not just that they're new creation, so to speak, but they're known. Right? They know God now, and more importantly, God knows them. We'll talk about that real quick. And then lastly, that they are not alone in their journey. And Paul is quick to pastor them and love on them and say, listen, the challenge of this life is hard, okay? But you're not alone in it. So I have a few moments left. I'll just walk through those three points. Known, new, and not being alone. Verse 8, it says, verse 8 says this, that the Galatians were formally, underline that, formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved by those that by nature are not gods. This is that polytheistic society I talked about. They were enslaved to a whole other type of religion, a whole other type of living. But Paul's point here in the verse, first part of this chapter, or verse 8, is that they were formerly those things. And this is what he's driving towards. You used to be this way, and you're not anymore. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is for someone to come along and lovingly smack us upside the head to remind us of who we are in Christ. It's a wonderful ministry. We have an opening here at the church. If anybody would like to have that ministry. <laughs> My wife says I'm not allowed to hit people anymore. But we do. We do sometimes just need lovingly reminded of who we are. And Paul comes to them with pastoral care and compassion. And he says, you used to be this way. That'll free some people in here right now. Just knowing that God has done something in you and he's just pulled something out of you that you didn't even know you had. Maybe better, it's better put this way. He's put something inside of you that you didn't have, the Spirit of God. He's transformed you. And so you formerly used to be this way. You used to be enslaved into these things. There are many things in our life that we couldn't change no matter how hard we tried. And now that God has come into our lives, we can change. And I'm here to remind you, you used to be someone that you're not any longer. I'm telling you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are not the same person you used to be. And if people are trying to tell you that you are, they're lying to you. They're trying to enslave you. They're trying to hold you back for whatever reason. I don't know their motives. I don't care to know their motives. I'm just here to tell you the truth. that You, are, you used to be something, and now you're something else. Okay, you guys get this? Amen, we'll move on. Okay, thank you very much. Not only... Or you knew, but you actually know God and better yet are known by God. To know God or to be known by God. I was asking my staff this morning, which do you think is the more important of the two questions? Is it, is it important, more important to know God or is it more important to be known by God? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Trick question. I think it's both is what I'm trying to say. It's both. It's both of them. There was a part where Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you. So I feel like God has to know us too, but it doesn't matter. But there's this, this idea that we, our eyes have been sort of open to the reality that God exists. So in, in a polytheistic culture that the Galatians lived in, they've been revealed, it's been revealed to them that Jesus is Lord, that he is the son of God. And I mean, all of that. Okay. And in our world, something similar is taking place too. There's many gods, if you will, vying for our attention. And for whatever reason, God sees us. He pulls open the blinds, blinders on our eyes. And now we know who God is. Same type of thing is happening. And we know God. 
But he says even more importantly that you would be known by God. To know God goes beyond just intellectual agreement into Christian doctrine, right? It's, to, it's more than just to move from monotheism to, or to monotheism from polytheistic beliefs. Can't even read my writing. But the knowledge that, that Paul is talking about is, is, um, is a type of knowledge that comes in such a way that it, would, it can transform a person. Paul's sense of knowing God is related to the, the Hebrew word yada. Some of you may know this word. But it's used in the Old Testament to, ref, to refer to a kind of personal intimacy with God. And this is where it gets PG-14 uh, here. Um, but it's a, this word know God, yada, has to deal with personal intimacy with God associated with sexual intercourse. It's got, it got weird all of a sudden. Apologies. But look at this verse in Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she bore a son named Cain. This is the language that Paul's using for the Galatians. This is the language that we need to understand, that there's an intimacy that we can have. And I don't, I don't want to sexualize it, because that's not Paul's intent, nor is it mine. But it, it, it is more than just an intellectual ascension to some ideas. You know, that kind of makes sense to me. You know, now that you say that, that does kind of make sense. Logically, of course, that, right? All of that, it's beyond that. It's, he, Paul is pointing to this reality that their lives have been transformed in such a way, and he speaks to the experience of that taking place. Um, when I was a young Christian, I had incredible encounters with the Lord. Like, just like you ever, if anyone remembers this, like you just are at this place where like God seems to show up under every leaf and behind every bush, right? You turn the TV on and it's like a Christian, it reminds you of a Christian thing that the pastor preached that week or you listen to the radio and that song comes on. You're like, oh my God, God, are you real? And like, like all of this stuff is happening. Like he's pushing people back to those memories. Remember when God did all of that? And maybe if you're like me, you sometimes, it's, it's hard to see those things now. One of the things I've been doing the last few weeks with my staff, we meet Sunday mornings at 7.30. I know you guys are still snoring. I get it, right? But we meet at 7.30, and we talk about what we're going to do today. We pray. We pray for our volunteers, do all that stuff. And the last few weeks, I've been asking them, what has, God, what has God done for you this week? What have you seen God do this week? Maybe it's not your life, but in someone else's life. And I'm constantly pushing our staff to, to, to realize and to see that God is doing things. Because it's, it's so easy to just get caught up in news cycles and everything else on social media and not realize that God is actually changing lives around us. He's doing the miraculous constantly. We just sometimes don't see it. And for Paul, he, he pushes them back. He goes, you know God, this experiential, intimate way, and maybe more importantly, and he knows you. That he sees you and he knows you. One uh, commentator on the book of Galatians said this about all of humanity, that we are all lost like blind rats in a labyrinth. We are hopeless. Just picture that. That's us. We are hopeless. But God has helped us. That he somehow picks us up and helps us find the cheese. Say amen. Let's go. He helps us, whatever, right? The thing in our life, the labyrinth that is our life, God helps us. And he moves on our behalf. Here's what I love. First, I assure you, I was not looking for him 
when I found him. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I promise you I was doing everything but. And maybe the, your story is similar. And, but God, in his great love for us, he comes and he helps us. John, in 1 John, he, he writes this. We love because he first loved us. Like we're motivated to do things, the very things that God has done for us because he did them to us first. It is by God's grace that we are saved. This is the thrust. This is the monotone of the book of Galatians. This is the guitar player playing the same chord for four hours. One chord. This is the book of Galatians. It's the same message. It's the same message. It's the same message. But I'm telling you, it's so easy for it to slip out of our minds. And Paul, in great apostleship and pastoral care, he reminds them they've been made new, and you know God, and he knows you. And all of this can change your life. And one of the last things he points to is that they are not alone in their journey. I'll read a couple verses here, talk about a few things I wrote down. Verse 10, it says, you're going to observe days and months and seasons and years. He's just talking to the Galatians. He's like, I heard about you guys. You guys are now following the, the Jewish calendar again. Or not again, they, they're not Jewish, but they've been sort of lassoed into the belief that they have to be Jewish to be Christians now. And so they're all of a sudden following the, the, the Sabbath rules and, and the celebrations and all that stuff. And he's like, it's just, it's not worth it. He says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Hear me, God's not, or Paul's not afraid for himself. That's not the is, issue at all. He's concerned that he's wasted his time. Like, I'm going to have done all of this. I'm going to travel to you, stayed with you, preached the gospel to you, trained you up, helped you out, and explained all these mysteries to you. I've done all that. And now I'm afraid it's, it's been wasted because you're now turning your back on God and going back to enslave yourself. But here's my favorite part. But even though he feels as if he's wasted his time, he doesn't stop. He never quits. He doesn't stop with them. In fact, that's why he's writing this letter. He would love to come and be with them again. He'd love to probably punch the Judaizers in the face. I don't know if that's a thing or not. But he wants to get rid of these fools who are teaching this false gospel. But all he can do now is write a letter and send it by courier, however long this takes, right? But he, he loves them enough to get involved. Even though he feels as if he's wasted his time, he doesn't give up on them. God, would we learn from that? God, how can we learn from that in our own days when we are at our end with some people? Don't say their name out loud, but think of that person. And if they're sitting next to you, no finger pointing. <laughs> you might get so frustrated with someone and feel like I've just wasted my time with you. But... Paul doesn't give up, and maybe we shouldn't either. That maybe the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about that came on the day of Pentecost would help us to labor long with people. That we'd be more like Jesus, who, and God, the Father, who is immutable and unchanging, forever constant in our lives. How many people feel like the lives of our friends, oh, this is strange to say, I don't know why I'm saying this. Is it okay? All right. So, like, for so many people, there's... Their lives are just like they're on a, a ship that's in, tossed in the sea. Here's what they need. Here, I love you. Here's what they need. They need a constant in their life. And sometimes we're in their lives that we may be that constant for them. We're not a constant by condemning and wagging said finger at them, blah, blah, blah. Well, because you're a dummy and you make the stupid decisions all the time. And I told you last time if you went over to his house, this is going to happen. 
right? I told you, stay away, all that. We don't do that. But we're a constant there just reminding them that you're better than this. That God is changing. You don't have to do that. Okay, all that stuff. So for so many of us, um, when we think of those people, may we just be reminded that God has placed us in their lives to be a constant. I don't know. We're just throwing it out there. Um, I didn't plan that. Verse 12, he says, brothers and sisters, I entreat you. That's fun to say. I entreat you. I beg you, become as I am, for I have become as you are. He, he's saying that you're not alone in this. Three different times in all of chapter 4, he uses that phrase, brothers and sisters. Even though he's very strong in his language, he's very frustrated with them for sure, but he's still showing great compassion and love towards them. Brothers, it's a, it's a familial word, it's, um, and more than just family, because I know some of us have family that we're not real close to, but this is that type of family that you're real close to, you're real intimate with them. And he says three different times in chapter 4, he calls them brothers and sisters. And then in verse 19, he even calls them his little children, which is sort of strange um, and beautiful at the same time. Like, you're, you're a Christ follower because I shared the gospel to you. And he has some sort of responsibility to them, and he wants to parent them the only way that he could uh, as a father and or like a mother. It's the craziest thing. But he uses this language to say that, that they're more than just acquaintances to them, that he's connected to them in some way. And that they're not alone in this journey. That he shows his care for them and he continues to teach them this good and sound doctrine, this good and sound truthful teaching. But he also does so in love. He, he, he does so with great care. He knows that they're being misled. And he comes at them with compassion and care for them. We could probably learn from that. that there's this two-prong approach that's probably best used in the church that if we... Um, we can't just be about sound doctrine, although we should be about sound doctrine. Say amen. And if you don't know what that means, welcome to Renaissance. <laughs> right? You're brand new to this thing. That's really fine. It just means we want to teach the right things about who God is always. Right? And that's one prong of the approach of the church. For sure, in our church, we want to teach rightly. But secondly, we have to do so with much care and compassion because many people are hurting. Many people are wounded. Many people are entangled in things, and they need help out of it. So we're not going to just pound them on the head with sound doctrine, right? You should know better, but we're going to come at them with great care and love and compassion too. And I think this is the picture that Paul is showing, that they've been made new, they know God, and God knows them. And lastly, they're not alone in this thing. So you guys still awake? I, I feel like I'm dozing off myself. It's okay. Hey, real quick, this isn't in my notes, but who won the game last night? Was it Cardinals or Cubs? Who was it? Come on. I'm just asking. I mean, seriously, I was, I was studying for my sermon last night, and the game was on, and I kept getting distracted, so I turned it off. I have no idea who won. I assume the Cardinals won? <laughs> Look at that gloating back there. I love it. Anyways. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm moving on. Um, that's just brevity, trying to break it up a little bit. It's a little heavy in here, I know. Um, he says, I want you to become as I am, for I have become as you are, in verse 12. His admonition to be like him is an often repeated plea of Paul. He would say, follow me as I follow Christ. Just do what I do. Like, that's how you help young people. It's the apprentice program. It's what Jesus did with his disciples. Come along and let's learn this thing together. And it's what Paul did to the early Christians. Just be like me. Let's figure this thing out together. And, um, and, 
that's a, a great reminder for them. But again, it's Paul who, who's really trying to point the, the people towards Christ. That's what he's trying to do. There's an interesting story, and I'll end with this. Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26. Uh, Paul is at the end of his life, kind of towards the end of his life or his journeys, and, and he's been arrested, he's imprisoned, and he's, he, has a, uh, he gets called before the king at the time, King Agrippa. And he's before King Agrippa, and he begins to share the gospel of Jesus to him, which I just think is so bold and wonderful. But he comes to King Agrippa. Um, king Agrippa knew the, the ways of the Jewish people. And Paul knew that. He goes, you know about the Jewish people. You know all of that. And you knew that I was a Jew, that I was a Pharisee. You know all that stuff. But I'm telling you, bro, I was on the way to Damascus, and I met the risen Jesus Christ on the road. Right? The Christ that they crucified on the cross was buried in a grave. God raised him from the dead, and I encountered him. And this has forever changed my life. And he begins to talk to King Agrippa and to persuade him into the gospel. He's, he's teaching him. He's preaching to him. And King Agrippa replies something like this. These are all paraphrases. He says, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul's reply is this. Short time or long time, it doesn't matter. I pray that not only you, but also everyone listening today will become like me, except for these chains, is what he's saying. What Paul is saying is even though that we have the power to judge and contemn, that he, like a fettered prisoner, is actually better off than you because he has met the king of glory and he has been forgiven of his sins and delivered from the tyranny of Satan. And in this respect, I wish you would all become like me. The greatest gospel some people will ever read is your life, is my life. I mean, we get an opportunity to show people all the time the love and the compassion of Jesus, the newness of our life, the fact that God knows us and we know him, and to remind people that they're not alone in their journey. To the Galatian church, he's reminding them, I used to be a Pharisee. I was so zealous for the things of Judaism, I actually persecuted Christians. Like, I didn't like them either. I oversaw their arrest, they're beating, and when they were put to death, I was voting in the affirmative. Kill him. He did all of that, and then he encountered Jesus, and it changed him. That's the story he told them when he went there. I, I want you to hear this. It wasn't like he was carrying around a Bible and reading verses to them. He came to them and told them his story. He told them his story, told them the truth of who Jesus is, and it changed them. They've been misled. They've been pulled into something other. And Paul, in his great love for them, he's trying to pull them back out. I'm afraid in our world today, it is so easy to take our eyes off of Jesus. It's so easy to take our eyes off of who he is and what he's done and put it onto something else. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be um, I don't
I don't ever want to be uh, considered like political. Like my desire for you guys is to never know who I vote for if I vote. <laughs> I don't even want you to know, right? I don't ever want to be political. And yet we live in an incredibly, incredibly politically charged world. Yes, especially us in America, right? right. Um, you know, the last few weeks with those mass shootings that have taken place. Um, you know, I'm watching that. You know, just so you know, the church, we don't say a lot about those things because I do. I don't want it to be a political thing. I don't want to whatever, whatever. But I want to tell you my heart right now. And you guys can get mad at me if you want. And that's totally fine. You can send the emails to Joe at Rendicator. <laughs> send them to Joe. He loves it. He wants to be involved. Not me. I don't want to be that guy. But the last few weeks, I'm watching this from afar. I'm from distance. I'm not, I'm not a news guy. I stopped watching news years ago. Um, but I do follow a lot of people on Twitter. Well, Twitter's like even worse than news some days. And I'm following a lot of these things. And I'm just overcome by how many people just want to argue like the things that should be. It's a mental health thing. It's a gun thing. It's a, it's a both thing. It's a why didn't this happen? Why shouldn't? Why didn't? All that stuff. And in the middle of all of that, my heart just began to break. I'm just like, Lord, we've just lost sight of you in all of this. So I get, I get called up into question or asked questions all the time. What do I think about this? What do I think about this? I stopped answering um, on what I feel. I'm now just trying to respond with how the scriptures might speak to that situation. I know it's very vague in what I'm trying to say, but I only bring this up because um, it's so easy in our world to, to lose sight of the things that God is doing, um, especially when we get caught up into the, the, the fray of all the talk. Um, I just want to be a Jesus guy. Does that make sense? So um, now having said that, I, I don't know why I said that, honestly. So there's that. And uh, yeah, okay. Well, let's, let's be done. Um, Thank you guys for coming. I want to pray with us, and we're going to close with just a few seconds of worship, and then we'll get on to smoking some ribs. Anyone? That's what I'm doing this afternoon. I'm just saying. So, all right, let's, let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you. You are the God who makes us new. We can't reinvent ourselves. Only you can do that. Um, you make us new. You help us to know who you are through Jesus. And you know us, God, that we are known by you. We thank you for that. And lastly, Lord, you have placed us in a place where we are not alone. We are not alone. And help us to remind others of that. And Lord, help others to remind us of that as well. Thank you for the words of Paul to the Galatians. There's so much there we could have talked about. But these are the three things that I think you wanted us to hear. So we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, may we move at your pace never getting before you, never lagging behind. May you take us exactly where you want us to go. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray for the Cubs in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 